Trabul in Africa, 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 Trabul in Africa. We are really suffering. We wake up early in the morning, sometimes at two o'clock or three, and then we went to the rivers. There is a river there. And then we'll just walk about two hours or three to fetch what. Africans they have no peace. Africans they have no peace. Africans they have no peace. Community of Lebueng is a community that has gone through uh, untold suffering in the sense that uh, for a long time, for about six, seven months, they did not have water at all in the community and they had had to go, try, women had had to travel distances of up to three, four kilometers to travel for water. Uh, they would have to wake up at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning to, to get water for consumption in the house, in, 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 in the family. Uh, they would have to bring water into the house early in the morning before the children went to school so the children could wash and go to school. And, and they would have to bring in the water on their heads that is going to be used for washing, uh, for washing dishes, for, uh, for cooking and for consumption in the home for the whole day. And the following morning at 2 o'clock they would have to do the same. And, and it was this kind of, of um, hardship that got the people of Libueng to start thinking about a development committee and to start thinking about how they can bring water into the community. And the first things they did was to contact government, uh, the government, uh, the government of Leboa, uh, which is the authority uh, which is governing their area at the moment. And uh, after discussions and meetings with Leboa and pleadings with the government, uh, they could not get anywhere. And so they used their own initiative to bring water to the village. Uh, each family had to contribute, we are told, about 50 rand. Some families didn't have it, uh, so some were exempted and some price, price was halved. But they managed to bring in enough money that has now brought them water into the village. Africans they have no peace. We need to rebuild the country destroyed by the war. Today we can say that we are among the five poorest countries in the world. We are a country with uh, six million people in the situation of refugees and uh, displaced people. Main 1.5 refugees and 4.5 displaced people, mainly coming from rural areas. Uh, but in 1981, we are not in this situation. The voices of two nations telling apparently separate stories. Yet these are both tales of war and of want, and both trace their roots to the destructive effects of apartheid. Leah Malaja told of her daily walk for water from her home village of Lebueng in a dusty valley in what until South Africa's first all-race elections last month was the supposedly self-governing Bantustan of Leboa, homeland by order of the white government to 3.2 million of the North Sutu people. Brian Malefi, coordinator of the community-run Northern Transvaal Regional Development Forum, 
gave us a summary of how the people of Lebuang, who, with strong irony, called their village California, set out to bring water to their doors through a self-help project. And then from across the eastern border, Mozambique's junior planning minister, Tomás Salamao, reported on the extent of the refugee and poverty problem facing his country after more than a decade of white South African-sponsored war of destabilisation. And that's how these two stories today roll into one. They're both tales of the struggle against apartheid. They both demonstrate the immensity of the task facing all the people of the southern African region now that the ideology of separate development for the races is finally gone. The new South Africa inherits 7 million people living in squatter camps. It has a huge illiteracy problem. Unemployment runs at perhaps 70% in poor areas. The ANC has promised to electrify 5 million homes in five years and provide running water for 1 million houses. We'll meet the villagers of Libueng who decided to solve their own water problems. Over in Mozambique, the war of destabilisation has ended. Reconciliation is in the air. Elections are due to be held towards the end of this year. But 25 years of fighting, first against the Portuguese colonists, then against the sponsored insurgents of White Rhodesia, and finally South Africa, has impoverished the nation and made it dependent on emergency aid rather than development programmes. Today we'll visit Nyasa, known as Mozambique's forgotten northern province, where even a recognised musician like Mario Agostinho must strum his tunes not on a guitar, but on a paint tin, covered with a python skin, nailed to a strip of wood and strung with three pieces of cord. We begin back in Libueng, or California, where Liboa government boreholes, which offered a rudimentary water system, were left unrepaired for seven months provoking the people to take action themselves. Life here at California is really difficult. There's a lot of things that we are running short of, like water is the first, but these days we can say with water it is little simple. And then we have got, we are shorting off electricity, roads are dusty and many things. Mm. What about the health of the people, of the children and the adults? It is also very difficult because we don't have a clinic here. There's no telephones and then the hospital is very far. Yeah, we are traveling very far to get to hospital. Well, what about, has the, has the new water supply made any difference to the health of people? I can say the health of the people is not really simple because this water, we aren't sure if it is healthy because it is from the mountain there. It is not purified. Mm. So do you boil the water? Ah, we don't boil it, we just drink. <laughs> the life here, it's uh, not 100% as it's supposed to be because now, uh, well, uh, when coming to health, uh, they are suffering from uh, different diseases like uh, malaria, like belhazia, like cholera, etc. Right, uh, the, the very same diseases originate from the, the water we are using. Why? Because now this water is not good for people to can use. So now that's why I say it needs some sort of purification, etc. so that now we can guarantee the health of uh, this water. 
And what about, you talk about the unemployment level in the, in the community. What do people do here as we stand here and we look around as the sun fades uh, behind the mountains at the end of this valley? We see a community which is uh, built on, on, uh, on dust, uh, a community which doesn't seem to me to be able to sustain much by way of agriculture. I've seen a few cattle around, but very few crops uh, being planted. So how do people survive? Well, uh, here now uh, it's a problem because uh, we didn't have water. Then, uh, so as, as a result, now agriculture becomes difficult. So, you know, for plowing, etc., it becomes so difficult for us. You see, you now, so now the people around here, they don't have work to do. As a result, now the they are housewives, uh, they just laborers. They depend. Say, sometimes if perhaps now there is something contributions from any other place where they say, well, okay, they can be employed for three months, etc. That's where now they used to get money. Or they are working for Boers, right, who used to pay them less than 30 rand or even 60 rand a month. A month. So it's too little to survive and it's too little to educate their children. School principal Lazarus Mowani. There are around 7,000 people in Lebueng, about 10,000 total in the valley, which includes three other villages. Dr Nicholas Crisp, a health and population development expert, describes the northern Transvaal in which it is situated. It's got international borders with three different countries. That is Botswana in the west, Zimbabwe in the north, and Mozambique in the east. It's also bordered by Baputswana, which is an independent state in the south, and it's got a piece of Kangwane bordering on its southeast border, which is one of the self-governing territories. Then within the northern Transvaal, about 70% of the land mass is RSA, Transvaal Province, piece of Transvaal Province, and it has the whole of uh, Venda, which is an independent state, and the whole of Gazankula and the whole of Labua, which are both uh, self-governing territories. An apartheid patchwork, 70% of northern Transvaal belonged till last month to the white-run Republic of South Africa. That meant that 70% of the land belonged to 3% of the inhabitants. Now the Republic of South Africa belongs to all its people. But it will be some time before many of the northern Sutu, 64% of the local population, manage to move from the crowded territory, which was Leboa. It will take time for the ANC-led government to make good its election promises. Hence the importance of the first small steps in self-reliance, such as the Lebuang Water Project. Brian Malefi. Lebuan community in in uh, mainly was organised by necessity. Uh, it was it was something that had to be done for their own survival. I mean, the things that that they were doing to get water into their homes uh, were simply not acceptable, and and they were driven into a situation where they would be prepared to do anything to get water into the village. And uh, I think it is a kind of condition that drove uh, people to do that kind of thing, to go to that kind of extreme. We are talking here about a pipeline that is about three kilometers away, uh, a pipeline that is that had to be set up in very mountainous area uh, with rocks and so on along the road uh, and, and, and uphills and, and downhills on the pipeline. In fact, the general slope is, uh, is upwards from where the water point to the, to the, to the uh, weir itself. Uh, and it was very difficult. We're talking about a situation where uh, men and women had to carry 50 kilogram bags of cement uh, over a distance of about three kilometers, which is very difficult to travel even when you're not carrying anything. 
uh, you did it with about seven kilograms of uh, weight on you, but it was still very difficult. Uh, uh, I found it difficult with nothing. But people uh, traveled uh, that distance uh, with 50 kilogram bags of cement. That's a lot of effort and that's a lot of determination. It takes a lot of determination from people who are not going to be paid for doing that kind of thing. People of Lubwing, they are very poor and they are in unemployment. So even to get at the fifth rand each house was difficult. Even now, some of the people, they haven't been paid that money. But uh, with the, the people to just to force them themselves to, to help them, because there was nobody who can help them to, uh, to get at the, the water. They've just tried their best to, get, to bring that the water to here. We cannot say the water is quite healthier. Why? Because now, see, that it needs some purification here. So you can see right here, there's got some grasses, cow dungs inside. So it needs some purification, as I say, so that now we clean up this dam, then we put the cement, and then etc. So we are unable to do it presently. Why? Because we don't have sufficient funds. I think the most important thing now is to get uh, there some resources over and above what they need to do practically in terms of taking the water to the other communities. We need to develop, to get some resources to sophisticate the manpower that is there. Uh, I think we need workshops in, in Lebueng to teach people, especially the people in the committee, about, uh, for example, uh, basic accounting skills, uh, basic management skills, and so on. And, and planning and strategic planning. We need to go there and, and, and organize workshops that will teach people those things in, in simple, understandable uh, methodology. Uh, and the reason for that is, for example, in that water system you have seen yourself, that the, the pipe was was moved in no, uh, for no less than four times. Uh, it was moved from the poles and it was moved from another area and it was moved again and again. Uh, and and that, in, that means that there was not enough strategic planning involved uh, and so on. The people have had to handle about um, 30,000 rand with no accounting skills and so on. Uh, we have to go in there and build the capacity of that community. The capacity of that community to handle projects of that nature has to be built. Uh, and I think, I think we have to invest resources in that. Uh, I was also thinking about what they could do to help the community. There's no farming, as far as I could see, happening yes. in that area at all. Now, there was one big area with about uh, have half a dozen cattle on it, uh, very scrawny cattle, which, which looks like it could be a tilled field if there were water on it. Yeah, that, that, that is the other problem. That uh, At the moment, uh, the, the problem was uh, drinking water for people, uh, for domestic consumption, for people. Uh, the people of Lebueng have identified other things that they would like to do, uh, like embark on a major agricultural scheme that would involve major irrigation. And, uh, and at the moment, it looks like they're just addressing the problem of domestic water supply. Once that has been addressed, I think they will move into things like that, that a major agricultural scheme. And I think it is feasible. Uh, the land there, although not arable, not, not very fertile, I think uh, with the crawl manure that they can gather and, and all sorts of uh, artificial uh, fertilizers that they can get, they can get the soil to produce uh, what to create employment and uh, to make the community survive on that. There are other things that people need there. Uh, they need the equipment for the schools. The schools have hardly anything. Uh, they said they need a library. 
uh, to which the youth can go after school. They need a clinic. Uh, as you saw there, we ha they have only one room which is reserved uh, to be a clinic, uh, one dilapidated room. Uh, they are themselves trying to build, uh, extend that room into several other rooms which will serve as a clinic. Uh, the nurse only comes, not a, not a doctor, a nurse comes about once a week there. They need to improve that service. And the development committee has identified those things and they would like to get those things done. And how far away is the nearest doctor? Uh, the nearest doctor, I think, would be uh, in Zanin which is about 120 kilometres away. Apartheid's legacy means that, even now, many from Le Bueng would be uncertain whether they may go to the doctor in Zanin, a white town, a conservative Afrikaner stronghold. Their own medical services should have been provided by the government of Leboa as part of an experiment in human engineering which left this region with the highest illiteracy rate in South Africa, the highest child mortality rate, and, at 52%, the highest overall unemployment. But even where racism was not institutionalised, Africa's chronic underdevelopment is testimony to the lost century of colonial rule. And in the frontline states bordering South Africa, testimony also to the impossible struggle for fledgling independent states against a lagra mentality to the South, which, till recently, believed its own survival to be dependent on the destruction of the socialist experiments on its borders. Mozambique was one such victim, and it's to there that we now move to see how a war of independence, followed by that war of destabilisation by Smith's Rhodesia and Buertas South Africa, has held up development throughout the country. But nowhere worse than in the northern province of Nyasa, which its inhabitants call the Forgotten Province. Josephat de Maca came there first as a guerrilla, fighting for independence from the Portuguese, which was gained in 1975. It was in 1968 when me and my two brothers, belonging to the Fredimo movement, we enter in Nyasa. Uh, faced the same difficulties which we are facing now, even the Portuguese were facing the same difficulties because of the communications. The targets were very dispersed. And even the Portuguese, uh, who, who were the Portuguese or the Portuguese soldiers coming to Nyasa, were those, uh, we can say, undisciplined Portuguese soldiers and unwanted and so on. I left to abroad to Romania for my studies, university studies, it was 1974. So I returned in 1979. Uh, I found the government was facing another war, Smith, Smith war. So the main, the main uh, activities, the main importance was given to the war. That is why Nyasa remained the same as, as it was. But and this was very, very difficult for Nyasa. The war uh, made the, via, the, 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 the means of communication, the route, to be very difficult, very difficult indeed. And uh, the railway, uh, the railway from Nakala, from Kwamba to Lishinga, was, uh, was never been maintained to come from uh, Kwamba to Lishinga takes two or three weeks uh, in a 300, 300 kilometers. It can be an extremely frustrating place to live because of those difficulties that you've mentioned, the lack of electricity, the lack of water, uh, the lack of access in terms of transport or even other forms of communication, telephones or anything. Yeah. 
but um, it was a place with uh, great potential. Fergal Flynn, an Irish doctor who, along with his Scottish doctor wife, Kate, and their daughter, has made Lashinga, Nyasa province's capital, his home for now. And those frustrations are real, even for a short-term visitor. The conditions I found in the hotel had not improved since Dr Innocent arrived from Nigeria six years ago. It was a horrible experience, really. I never expected it. Really, if uh, it had been that I came here on my own without being sent by my government, I would have decided to go back because it was horrible. It was really horrible. Believe you me, I stayed in the hotel for three weeks. I saw hell. It was a hotel. You go in. You are only given half bucket of water to have your bed. You are given a little water to flush the toilet. You have no right to use the toilet anymore because there's no water to pour into the toilet. Now you go to the refectory. You want to eat in the uh, restaurant. They give you bread. It is just like a stone. You throw the bread against the wall, it comes back to you. <laughs> you go to the refectory, you go with sugar, you go with milk. The worst is if you remove, it's in a hotel. If you remove your clothing, you give your soap to wash the clothing. The clothing comes more worst. That is more dirtier than the time you gave the clothes to wash. So it was a horrible experience. At night, the guest is still given a candle to guide him upstairs. The bed has no sheets. In the morning, a half bucket of lukewarm water awaits him to wash in the communal bathroom and to flush the toilet, which also has no running water. For breakfast, there is egg and chips and a stale roll. The war against Renamo, the South African-sponsored rebels, is over, but improvements in the quality of life come oh so slowly to the north. Fergal Flynn again. The war has brought us difficulties in, in two senses. <clears throat> One of them has brought uh, severe difficulties in, in terms of transport, in terms of communication, in terms of us getting the basic materials that we need with which to function. In another sense, the war and the bandits or Renamo, they have destroyed, it has been health and health installations have been a major target all throughout this war in the last 10 years. So in that sense, they have decreased, they have made life more difficult for us. And then against that, or also not against that, but also with that, you have the fact that war creates more victims. It creates greater health problems. It creates greater health problems like in the obvious sense of people who have either been shot or blown up by mines or macheted or burnt. But it also creates in the indirect way, which in ways that aren't always uh, immediately apparent, it creates a problem in the sense that the population here can't produce enough food because people don't have access to their mashambas, to their farms. And so uh, they're scared because of bandit activity. And so the amount of food that they produce is less, which brings all those problems of malnutrition, increased malnutrition, increased uh, deaths of babies and all these health problems that people uh, uh, know about, all these basic, basic, basic problems. Julie Warren is an English woman who has lived in Nyasa for nine years and works for the government. She produces a magazine for children about which we'll hear later. 
It's been a province uh, that's been very, very isolated for years and years, um, totally cut off from the rest of the country. So the people have been cut off, literally, because the roads have been impassable owing to Renamo action. It hasn't been safe to travel on these roads for years and years and years, so now they've fallen into terrible, a terrible state of disuse, uh, where during the wet season it is impossible to, to travel on them. This is the dry season, so now many people are making the effort to get out. Uh, I mean, even just this weekend, I, with a small group of people, managed to get out to a small village some hundred kilometers or more up the lake, Nyasa, to the north, a small village called Kobwe, which has been isolated for years and years, of course. Uh, we took, by road, we went down to Metangula, which is on down on the shore of the lake. Uh, we went by a small boat, which is, belongs to the Conselucrist... Sorry, that's Portuguese again. The... Um, Christian Council of Mozambique have bought a boat, a small boat, which holds about 18 people and a small amount of cargo. And they are using this boat as a means of communication with the lake villages, uh, which largely have been abandoned owing to Renamo action. The Renamo uh, attacked them at various times and the people, of course, ran away to Malawi. But now, of course that they want to come back. But as we saw in Kobwe this weekend, the, the situation is the, the people are so poor, there is no food, they just can't come back because they would starve. Not long ago, it was almost impossible to make that journey. Fergal Flynn again. On that road to Metangula, like before, ten months ago, when the war was on, it uh, was not considered safe. So basically, you have to travel in convoy, uh, military convoy. But this means that uh, journeys are extremely limited because the organization uh, of a convoy uh, takes a certain amount of time. You have to organize the military personnel. You have to coordinate that all the various people who are going to travel on the convoy are ready and are prepared to go at the same time or else one always has the option of, of going without the convoy and it's quite true that many of my colleagues and also myself uh, on some occasions we travelled without convoy which uh, is not the most wonderful experience in, in the sense that one travels and one travels uh, very frightened because uh, nobody wants to die. The war is over. There are now no mines on the very difficult road to Metangula. But problems remain, as detailed by Peter Crawford, an Englishman doing a needs survey for a Danish non-governmental agency. Nyasa, the forgotten province, uh, is, is forgotten. And uh, the information I'm getting is that, that they need they need help in all fields. I mean, it's, we're talking about health, we're talking about education, we're talking about very sort of fundamental things like, like providing food for starving families. There is starvation here. Uh, there is terrible malnutrition here out in the byways and villages. Uh, but 
I think one of the major problems of Nyasa is, um, is a problem concerning infrastructure. The problem is that there are two flights a week to Maputo uh, via Nampula, and then there's the railway, and a train arrives every second month or third month. I've been working in, in two byros of, of Lishinga itself. Uh, byros in the city are very much, well, city, let's call it a town, are very much, um, in principle at least, like villages are, uh, but they're huge, and therefore they have uh, the disadvantages of urban life. Uh, my opinion is that compared to an ordinary village, they're filthy. Uh, they have um, they have uh, more severe health problems than in the villages because there are so many people gathered together, um, and uh, they have the disadvantages of urban life combined with uh, not being able to carry out normal village life because they can't. They've got mashambas, they've got their fields, but they, they are where they came from. So they have to go very far to their mashambas. Then they stay there for probably two weeks and come back. Uh, but while they're in the town itself, there's nothing really they can do. When it comes to school facilities in this, this old byro, the big one, they do have a school which is functioning, uh, although not very good. It's because of the problems of teachers not getting sufficient salary to to survive, and therefore they have to go out to their mashandas as well and, and, and grow food. Uh, a teacher's salary is the equivalent approximately of, of two latas or tins of maize, which is probably about 20 kilos of maize, which is the staple diet of, of this area. So the salary would not keep a teacher in maize for one month? It wouldn't, no, because they, many families, the poor families, eat nothing but maize. They, well, maize and the only sort of protein input they have is, is from beans. Uh, they don't, they can't afford meat. How do you start trying to bring aid to a people like this? Well, I think, uh, speaking about infrastructure, sanitation, roads, uh, water... Uh, health, it's such a major problem here that, that it needs what I would call big help, which is for big organisations, international organisations, the UN system and other uh, large international organisations. I think where smaller organisations or aid agencies can help is to start out in the villages and districts to facilitate and catalyze work being done by the people themselves. For instance, in, in Nishinga, but now that there's peace, uh, potentially in, in the whole of the province, uh, the organization that I'm working for intends to intensify its work uh, with youth because the basic strategy being that the adults forget it because they've, they're already... The youth is the future. In the schools, the, the children have absolutely nothing. Um, 
the maybe the, some of the children have the class book, but not all of them because they're expensive to buy. Uh, the teacher will have the class book, and he just works through the blackboard. But there's nothing for the children to read. So we thought this would be a, uh, an important contribution to try and provide something on a regular basis every month uh, for the children to read. Well, you've got last month's edition of it there. Can you take me quickly through it and tell me, give us an idea of the sort of message that you're trying to get through to children? Uh, well, it, it isn't only messages. Um, the children write to us. We have letters from the children um, about what goes on in their school or in their homes or in their village, uh, which we um, edit a little so that the Portuguese is correct, so that they're not reading incorrect Portuguese in the school. Um, so we have one, two pages in which there are uh, letters from the children and we pr put little illustrations uh, along with the... Here's just a story about what boys throwing stones at yeah. passing people. Bold thing to do. Well, yeah, there's just a little a boy who wrote back saying how he was walking home one night and he was really scared because all of a sudden a huge stone landed behind him and he suddenly saw all these naughty little children who were throwing stones at him. So he just... These are the kind of things they write about. Or The man who fell down the well. Yeah, the man who fell down the well. Uh, he was trying to find the bucket that goes down the well, leaned over too far and fell in. And then they, they all stood around at the top and wondered what to do. And then somebody had a bright idea, oh, I'll go and fetch a cord and <laughs> pull him out. So they pull him out. And then the last sentence says, and this, this senor now is in hospital. <laughs> so those little stories that happen in the village, they send to us and we write down, thinking these are things that children would like to read about. They're amused and things that other children have written. Most important thing is the pictures, because nobody ever sees any pictures at all. Uh, you know, it's a life without images out in the village. There are none. Uh, so to see a picture of something is very important. Life in the villages may indeed be without pictures, but that's less life-threatening than waiting on Lashinga Hospital's operating table without electricity. Dr. João Paulo. Sometimes we, we must come here to operation. We need to make some operation, a big operation, not petrol, for uh, put away the generator. generator. And not general electricity. Sometimes it's very difficult for the patient. Sometimes can die the, the patient. Now, we think when uh, general electricity is work is good for us. We think if what possible to put the generator to work every time is very good for us, but we haven't money for to put every time because the petrol is very, very expensive. expensive. Dr. Innocent from Nigeria. If you come here at night, after 9 p.m., you see that the whole place is black out. There are operations that are suspended because of no light. There are operations that are suspended because of no medical equipment. There are operations that are suspended because there is no skilled personnel to handle it. It is the effect of the war. The last month, there came two doctors of Nigeria for to work in Yasa. But when they come in Maputo, the people in Maputo said them, Nyasa, not electricity, not water, not food, no, not nothing. 
They said, the minister, no, okay, we don't go to Nias. Finish. They go other provinces. Myself, I was born here in Nyasa. I know Nyasa. But if I not was born here, never I can come in Nyasa. You can see the difficulties very. You haven't electricity. You haven't uh, telephone. You haven't nothing. My wife is in Maputo. Never I can to speak with the telephone. You haven't water. You haven't many things. You go in the hospital. The difficult of med, med, medicines. Life is difficult for all, not just for the doctors and patients. On a fertile plateau, just 6% of whose arable land has been tilled. Living down by the shores of Lake Nyasa, Emmanuel Capelluela notes some of the difficulties. We need the transport. If at all, the war is going to be over completely. We need the transportation. Communication is very important. There is no communication as far as... If you ask a person about the noticia, which is the paper which is written in in our capital, in Maputo. It is not known here. And other people up to this time, they do not know that there is a paper which a person can read. We have no news. We don't know anything. We don't know what is happening in our country. It's, if these things could be improved, I believe that our province, one of the days, will join the rest of the provinces in our country. But what Nyasa really needs is to to invite to invite more uh, non-government uh, organizations for uh, short programs, medium and long-term programs. Uh, Nyasa is a great potential in agriculture, agro-agriculture, very potential. is also very potential in mining, in mining. And also in the fishery, of course, in Lake Nyasa, is very potential. And also touristic, touristic along, along the Lake Nyasa. With the peace, I think Nyasa will take a good, good place in Mozambique. Their major problem at the moment is that they don't they lack material resources, that people lack. We have so many health posts uh, that have been burnt out and destroyed. And my hopes are that um, with the end of the war and if the peace is a true peace that will hold, that we can build uh, on the system, we can build on the health care that we have and can build on the personnel that we have and with inputs of some materials deliver better care to the population. Back in Maputo, Mozambique's capital city, Paul Fauvet is a journalist with the state news agency. The problem is that Mozambique is, a des is desperately dependent on foreign aid. It's never got as much foreign aid uh, as, it's, as, it's, as it's asked for. There is a problem of uh, the donors, uh, what is called donor fatigue. Uh, there's a problem of, of, of pledges being... Uh, translated into actual money on the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the bank. Uh, I am seriously worried that uh, if, the, if things go on at the, the, the current pace, uh, with so many delays, then yes, donors may well, may, may well lose interest. Uh, you can't force uh, donors, donors to give you money, especially when there are so many other competing, competing claims. 
Of course, it's, in, it's enormously difficult, uh, and much will depend on how uh, the region as a whole uh, evolves. Obviously, a democratic government in, in South Africa would be a help uh, for Mozambique, uh, would unlock the region. The Irish government is currently studying how we, in our small way, can help Mozambique reconstruct before moving to a proper development programme. The Department of Foreign Affairs is also looking at worthwhile causes in South Africa now that freedom has arrived. Nyasa's needs are immense, as are those of all of Mozambique, which suffered more than anywhere except Angola, as white South Africa fought to maintain its apartheid system. The needs of South Africa are even larger, but since less of the country has been destroyed, the new government starts from a more advanced position. And already, communities like that in Lebueng, which recently received sufficient outside aid to allow the completion of the provision of water for the whole valley, are showing the potential of self-help. At the end of my tour of the pipeline, the school hall was crammed with villagers who had come to meet the visitor and insist he made a speech. They also presented me with a concert of nine choirs who combined with all in the hall at the end to sing the anthem of the new South Africa in Kosi Sikilele, Africa. Lebueng is very typical of the northern Transvaal. Well, uh, the project that they have there is not, uh, I cannot say, is a fair reflection of the amount of work that people in the region are doing to help themselves. Uh, in certain areas, people are much less organized than the people in Lebueng are. Uh, but nevertheless, people have the same needs, people have the same problems as the people in Lebueng. So in as far as the problems in Lebueng are concerned, yes, it is a typical northern Transvaal village, but uh, the, the community of Lebueng stands out uh, as having been able to do something about their problem. The people in the other areas, it's just that the people in the other areas uh, have not had the luck of having people, uh, the quality of people, for example. Uh, you'll have, uh, you know, people like in Lebueng here and there, but not everywhere, you know, and unfortunately not in most places. And uh, I think they were fortunate to have the quality of a development committee that they have that has been able to, to do something about the problem. But, but otherwise, in the rest of the region, yes, we have people who are determined and so on, who are just ordinary people who are frustrated and demoralized and, and have accepted uh, their suffering. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.